0: Hello and welcome to All Things Small Business, brought to you by DAU. I'm Ken Karka, DAU's Small Business Learning Director. This series is offered as a continuing dialogue between government, industry, and academia on acquisition-related issues that impact small businesses who support the critical defense industrial base. Let's join today's conversation.
1: Welcome to All Things Small Business. I'm your host, Anthony Rotolo, and this is the show where acquisition and small business meet. We bring together business owners, contract experts, policymakers, and stakeholders, and we explore the issues facing small business and acquisition professionals as they work together to overcome challenges in a government and defense context. With me for today's episode are Wendy Peck and Dr. Bill Casey. Wendy Peck is the CEO of Executive Leadership Group, a boutique management consulting firm based in Colorado. It's a small woman-owned business. And Dr. Bill Casey is Wendy's partner. He's an organizational psychologist and president of ELG. ELG works at senior levels, providing consultation, and advisory support on organizational culture, strategic planning and execution, strategic communication, and organizational performance. In addition, ELG provides extensive leadership training and coaching. Their clients have included all branches of the Armed Services, NSA, U.S. Coast Guard, FEMA, the Georgia Tech Research Institute, And private sector clients have included the U.S. Naval Institute, Seagate, Molson Coors, ING, Microsoft, and many others. You can find out more about them at their website, which is ELG.net. Wendy, Bill, welcome to all things small business.
2: Anthony, thank Hi. you so much for having us. We've uh, been tracking your work and your team's work for a while, and it's just stellar. We're honored to be here. We thank you for the invitation.
1: It's really my pleasure and a thrill to have you both. Now, I've noticed that you have an article. It's out in JFQ. That is the Joint Forces Quarterly, very important publication. It's titled Success on Purpose. A Message for Leaders of Military Organizations. It's a wonderful article, and I wanted to start right there. What inspired this article?
2: Thanks, Anthony. Um, You know, Bill and I and our team were asked to join a very big assessment effort back in 2017 for the Air Force, the then Chief of the Air Force, uh, General Goldfein. Uh, had launched an effort to uh, help what he called revitalize squadrons.
3: His top priority for that.
2: It was his top priority for his tenure. And what that was really all about was looking at across the Air Force at culture, you know, what was making the squadrons that were really doing well, you know, why were they doing so well? And the squadrons that weren't, why not? And how do we revitalize and lift up all squadrons to get the best out of the Air Force? Um, Bill and I were senior advisors to uh, the core team who uh, took the Air Force through that process. And one of our biggest findings after a year of talking to thousands of people, serving thousands of people, was that the squadrons that were performing poorly and or who had low morale, were the squadrons where their, their purpose was unclear. We seriously could could not find a common understanding of that unit's purpose. Now, I want to clarify, it doesn't mean they couldn't articulate what they do for a living. They could review long task lists, but really understanding the true purpose of the unit and how it contributed to a bigger picture was lacking for the squadrons who were struggling. And so that became a real theme of our final report back to General Goldfein and worthy of calling it out in its own article.
1: And along those lines, the first thing you talk about is that clear and meaningful purpose. Later in the article, you talk about the janitor or custodian at NASA, for example, who isn't mopping floors. He's helping to get a man on the moon, right? You have to have a vision and a connection to purpose. Am I tracking with you? I think, I think we're totally in sync. You know what what happened if we start thinking about
3: this is really there's really two components in, in, in the literature that's pretty well reflected too. There's a vast literature on, on this among academics, and actually much of it's actually useful. The two aspects I'd like to talk about right now or we should talk about it, is clarity and meaningfulness. Because nothing can be meaningful if it's if it's not clear what we're talking about. And one time we were asked to help with it the, there was this mega project for a large fortune fifty manufacturing organization, and they had been spending money on their their it project, this huge i t project for a couple of years without making much progress. And so we were asked to come in and take a look at it and see what could be done. And we said, so, okay, so uh, we talked to a number of people. Said, so what is the point of this project? Oh, well, there's the, the requirements over there. there are, there are you, you can pick them up and read them on the way out. It's a huge <laughs> stack of requirements. We said, no, no, we're not that smart. What we're looking <laughs> for is could be put on an index card. Can you say what the point of the project is? And uh, we really couldn't get an answer. So we said, can we talk to the steering committee? So we finally got on, on their calendar. They, they were reluctant. They're pretty busy. But we got on their calendar and uh, we said, can we get on the first 5th We're only going to take 15 minutes. Can we get, get 15 minutes on the front end? And uh, the CFO did what a lot of senior execs do when we talk about purpose. They say, well, it's pretty obvious. I think everybody already is aware of this. We said, yeah, well, so, so what is it? And he said what he thought it was. And then what was neat was the person next to him said, uh, you know, you know, Jim, I, I don't I don't see it that way. Well, we asked for the first 15 minutes in the front end for this reason. It took the entire two hours of their conversation. And then their next biweekly meeting of conversation. And they finally determined, oh, the whole point, and you can put an index card, is to enable us to acquire other companies. Our financial systems currently can't do this. Our IT systems can't do this. The whole point is to be able to acquire the companies. And since then, they've acquired a lot of companies, but they had not been able to get everybody together. They had been so in the weeds technically that no one had said, what is the point of this whole thing?
2: And I should, should say that uh, the good news is the project did get back on track. That project purpose was made very clear to everyone, and it really changed the kind of decisions that were being made. Oh, yes. And uh, they did go on to... Uh, acquire (laughs) one of their competitors. So (laughs) it has a happy ending.
1: That's a great story. And, you know, it's a very relatable anecdote because work today tends to be project work. And when you're on a project, just like you said, there are the requirements over there. And we can think in terms of those requirements. Or in the workaday reality, someone could be thinking about, I've got a Gantt chart to make.
2: That's exactly right, that this concept of having clear and meaningful purpose is definitely scalable. You know, it only makes things better when every task has a clear purpose, all the way up to every organization having a clear purpose. But I also want to make sure we talk about the second piece of this, which is the meaningfulness, because both are so important. Uh, You know, one without the other simply isn't enough. Uh, obviously, as Bill said, you can't move forward if you don't understand what you're talking about in terms of purpose, so clarity is vital. But adding meaningfulness uh, is where we start getting the motivation and where we start connecting people emotionally to the purpose. We talk in the article about someone I probably most of us know about, uh, Victor Frankl. He was the author of the book, Man's Search for Meaning. He was a Holocaust survivor. And recall that he was really studying while in a concentration camp himself, why some people who weren't murdered, why some people survived that experience and others did not. And uh, he makes a pretty compelling case for the fact that it came down to whether or not they had a sense of purpose, a higher reason to live. But you know something that's a little closer to home, while I was working on this article, I, I took my then 13-year-old granddaughter on a trip to Honolulu. She'd never been on her trip, but I wanted to connect her in some way to our military work. And so I found out about this organization that uh, I never knew prior to that even existed. It's called the Defense Prisoner of War Missing in Action Accounting Agency. Um, And, you know, if you look at their mission statement, it says we provide the fullest possible accounting for our missing personnel to their families and the nation. What that means is they go out all over the world to try to find the remains of missing servicemen and women and bring them home, identify them through DNA measures and whatnot, so that they can then finally notify their families and say your loved one has been found. Uh, and I was so intrigued by this organization I had never heard of. I contacted them and said, hey, would you w- be willing to let my 13-year-old granddaughter and I come and visit you? And uh, one of their forensic anthropologists um, was so kind. He said, I'll stay late to meet you all here, and I'll show you around. And of course, you can imagine we were seeing gurneys with bones and remains and all this you know, laboratory-looking stuff. And because I was working on this article and because I do this often anyway, I said, hey, um, can you tell me why you think this agency exists? Now, I wanted to hear his expression of purpose. And what was amazing is without any hesitation and with full commitment, he said, we keep America's promise to bring everyone home. And I'm not kidding you. I mean, both my granddaughter and myself had a hard time fighting back the tears at that point. I mean, here was a guy who not only knew the purpose of his organization, but it was extremely meaningful to him. And he knew how to convey that meaning and affect us.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful expression of purpose, very resonant meaning. They must derive so much satisfaction in knowing that they're creating closure for so many people. That's a really wonderful example. Now, you talk about four ways that you can connect teams to purpose. I I wonder if you could speak to that for us. Well, first of all, one of the biggest hurdles uh,
3: team leaders and senior leaders have is being aware that what's obvious to them may not be obvious to to their team members. And so early, early into it, they need to understand that this needs to be articulated very clearly. We can talk about that a little little bit, Anthony, but the purpose of the team has to be perceived by the members as being meaningful. So, if you were to say, "Well, we're going to make more money," that will not float many people's boats. Uh, it really needs to be something that the, that the team itself would see as being meaningful, as as making the world a better place or meeting a great challenge or or, or whatever. It's gotta be it's gotta be something that that could be something that they could get excited about. But then there's a there's a little there's a well there's a lot of little catches here. One little catch is if the entire team says yeah that's a great and noble purpose, we're glad to be part of it. But then there are team individuals who cannot identify their contribution to that. That's the leader's job is to make it really obvious. And so we all have heard this this story of the NASA janitor who's putting a man in the moon. But what isn't generally known, but there was a study to show this, it will extend some links to help people within the organization, cascading down the organization, see the roles they were playing and how important it was. So it's not enough to say, well, it's really important we have clean floors here. Um, he needs to see how clean floors contribute to putting him on the moon. And, and he apparently did because there'd been a lot of effort to help him see how his role was one of the enablers of that huge accomplishment. Um, so that, that's that's one thing. It's got to be very personal. Another thing, and this is a lot of goal literature on this, that if you want to motivate people with goals, they have to believe that it is, it is difficult but achievable. Like if it's a hand wave, it's not very motivating. If it's If it's overwhelming, even though they might technically be able to do it, if it's overwhelming to people psychologically it is demotivating not motivating so they have to have a sense that yeah this is going to this is going to be tough but we we're going to do it and we're going to accomplish something great here i, I would say that's you know, one of the one of the critical factors
1: yeah i think i think it's very important that people feel challenged but not yeah. daunted where the you know the wind goes out of their sails and that's a principle that is validated in my world of learning and development the research shows that you need to bring learners that are learning a new skill, uh, learning new information. You bring them right to that edge of frustration, but you don't overwhelm them with it. So I just wanted to validate that principle from a different perspective.
3: Absolutely, absolutely, that's right. And I would, I would put one, one more, one more uh, uh, point out there, and that, that is that, that it's, it's one thing to have established. That you, you know what the meaning is having communicated and communicated all the way down to to the personal level and they buy in. but part of what you get out uh, both motivationally and intellectually from people is you get you get better decisions and and more proactive behavior but that's only if they have all these things plus a little autonomy and if they have all these things but they are entirely evaluated based on checklists. In the Air Force, it's Air Force instructions. You know, the check boxes, and and if you get get them all checked, you're done. No, they they need to have a sense of being able to make some decisions, having some discretion, or else there's no ownership. So they have to have all those things for the purpose to be to be meaningful and motivating and help them make smarter
1: decisions. And that leads us to a question I wanted to ask you. In the article, you draw a distinction between active versus standing military organizations. And I think you just spoke to it a little bit, but I, I wonder if you could elaborate because it relates to success and that there is a difference between the nature of an active operation versus a standing military organization.
2: Yeah, you bet, Anthony. Um, probably no surprise to your audience uh, who is working in and around different kinds of military organizations that you know fully operational military organizations uh, in some ways, while they have many disadvantages, they have the advantage probably of uh, having a mission that must be clear. Quite often, lives are on the line. We can't be unclear about what we're trying to achieve, uh, and there is sometimes uh, you know because of that importance and a little bit of drama, a little more time is taken to make sure everybody understands it and everybody's connected to it. Uh, when you go to a standing organization, uh, think of many of the organizations in the Pentagon or, you know, our, I'll, I'll call it the business side of the military. Many of these organizations are really in a support role. They're supporters to the warfighters, and And while they know that, um, they don't, often uh, have the same sense of clarity and meaningfulness with their work. And it takes a little bit of effort, extra effort for leaders to make sure that they really understand how they connect to a bigger picture. And quite often, it starts with just understanding who's next in what we might call the value chain you know, very few organizations in the military are handing off a product or a service directly to a warfighter. They're handing it off to another organization, hands off to another organization that eventually makes its way to the warfighter. So it's really understanding who is your internal client and what is your purpose uh, in terms of delivering to them what they need. That is your success.
1: Again, a very relatable remark for people like me working in organizations like Defense Acquisition University and, and that business side yes. of warfare. And it does take a little bit of extra effort and reminding oneself that in my case, we're trying to equip warfighters so that they have what they need at those vital moments, and we're trying to help acquisition business people make smarter decisions. Right. Yeah. In the work a day, like I was saying before, you can just think your job is about getting this spreadsheet filled in. You know, this particular Wednesday, but that's not really the ultimate vision. Right.
3: Right. Right. This is sort of taking us, in, and if this is off track, let me know. But one of the things we find is that. When people start saying, well, so what are we going to do here? Or, 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 or what are we going to measure here? Because, you know, what are the metrics is one of the great questions. Mm. You sound smart. What are the metrics? Well, unfortunately, the, the people who are trying to sound smart by asking, what are the metrics? Very often are people who haven't gotten smart by saying, what are what are we trying to achieve here? Then let's figure out a way to measure that. What happens is there are th- there are things in, in life and and work and in, in a defense That are terribly important and terribly easy to measure, like aircraft incidents or submarines swapping paint. Okay, those are easy to measure and they're terribly important to measure. You'd want that. But there are a lot of things that are easy easy to measure that don't speak to what you're really trying to achieve. Someplace.
1: Yeah. Uh, You you know, I I want to interject there for those familiar with Six Sigma. Some have pejoratively. you know, sort of cynically said, it's about codifying mediocrity when you're, you know, of course, it's incredibly important to get the thickness of aircraft sheet metal just right. However, that doesn't translate into other areas that are different and hard to measure. And you actually map this in the article. You talk about measuring tasks and measuring purpose. I I wonder if you can just sort of connect what I'm saying to that diagram and and the theme of the article.
2: Yeah. and And I'll let Bill respond to that specifically, but I might tee it up by just saying that, you know, when, when people ask us, well, so what can we as leaders do to help the purpose be clearer and more meaningful? You know, what one of the, there are a few things we would say, but one is to make sure that whatever you're measuring is linked to purpose. It's one of the ways you lock down purpose and, and make sure nobody's questioning what's important in the organization.
3: And they, well, I think you you just said the media's thing there, but I'll finish it up. Here. So I guess I, I'd ask your audience to imagine a diagram where, you know, a two by two matrix, of course, we're consultants, so we have two by two matrices. <laughs> okay. um, and imagine that one, one dimension is, gee... Of what strategic importance is it the, the thing we're trying to do here, accomplish here? And then the other dimension would be how, how hard is it to measure what we're trying to do here? And what we find is, you know, there, there are things that are terribly important to measure that are easy to measure. But we also find there are, ter- there are things that are terribly important to measure, and they often just don't get measured. In fact, when we, we were asked to to help uh, with squadron vitality, one of the first things our our little Air Force team did is we started defining what do we mean by vitality, because if we're if we're here to help the the chief achieve vitality, then we need to know what that is. So that was one of the first things we did, and, that, and that's that's in a different article. But it's worth taking the time. I think that one of the biggest hurdles that uh, people have is th- is thinking it's going to be easy. And they find out that it's not, or they think it's easy, and they start they stop with a simple answer, and it turns out to be a, a harder answer if it's if it's simple and not simplistic.
2: And Anthony, you know we we end up being asked to do a lot of different kinds of assessments uh, related to human performance. and it's a common finding that organizations are trying to measure too many things, and that the at many of the things they're trying to measure don't really matter. In the context of purpose and that they aren't placing enough emphasis on measuring whether or not the outcomes they were aiming for were achieved. Let's pick on a training organization. That's near and dear to your heart. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you know as well as we do that classic for, for you know in the training world is to, you know, give students a, a survey at the end of class. Great idea, but that will not tell us. If they were able, they left the class able to do something better than when they. And it doesn't tell us whether or not those skills actually show up on the job. Very few organizations spend the effort to find out the real ROI on the training they're paying for. Um, but I've used that as an example because we can all relate to it. The near-in easy measure. Are the happy, glad, you know, surveys at the end of class?
1: We call the them hardest. smile sheets. Yeah, smile sheets. sheets. We call exactly. them those. Two. We call those too. Yeah.
2: Uh, but you know, the the real question is: Hey, if we're here to instill some skills and capabilities, did we do that? And how would we know? Well, you know, you'd have to go see what's going on out there on the job.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, and you're alluding to Kirkpatrick's levels yep. of yes. uh, training yes. evaluation. Yep. And yes, we sometimes use these. Smile sheets, as we call them, uh, yes. whether the student was happy with the training. But the real proof is in the pudding. Are they performing better on the job? That's the tough thing to capture and to go out and actually measure. And the truth is it doesn't really get done that much. Right. Um, there, and, and a lot of modern learning research and interest is in how to finally do that and how to insert training into the workflow where we can see performance gains so that's a great example. And I just want to piggyback on that overall concept of measuring. We are a data-obsessed world right now, and data, yes. of course, is so critical. We, we have to know where we're going and what we're doing and what kind of measures are coming back. But at, at the same time, we can boil the ocean when we just need a cup of water, and data can be very expensive, And there can even be an expense in measuring the wrong things or sometimes if the data is wrong and you act on those wrong results, what is the cost of that and how do you measure it? So I'm just sort of adding and embellishing upon what you were saying before about measuring the right things and certain things are hard to measure and the things that we ought to measure don't get measured at all. Right.
2: Quite, you know, quite often when we're helping organizations large and small go through some sort of planning process and, and in a way that the plan is very trackable and executable, we always start with purpose. And you know, what's the purpose of the organization? If it's a strategic plan for an organization, we want to make sure that everything is in the service of that purpose before we start coming up with specific strategies. But even at the purpose level, the very highest level, we can answer the question what is our purpose? What is the point of this organization? Why do we exist? The very next question then is how will we know that we are serving that purpose? And that becomes your very highest level of key measures um, because everything else we do underneath that better be in the service of that purpose. But most people don't start with that step. They think of two or three shiny objects to build a plan around. And so, you know, just again, we anchor everything to purpose, starting with an organization's measurement system. And if at the very top of things you're measuring are things that tell you you're serving your purpose, then as you flow that down and connect your strategies to that, you're far less likely to end up with too many unnecessary measures.
3: I want to second that. You know, they, we, we treasure what we measure. And if we are measuring too many things, it's going to be hard to spread the treasure around. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. That's a good um, way of saying it. Also, one of, one of the things that really good leaders do, and we've seen this, I mean, we, we didn't think of it, we got to see it, explain the decision to their people. And the decision was based on the organization's purpose. And when you see a leader Saying, you know, that would be fun to pursue, but actually, we need to put our attentions over here because I think that's going to help us achieve X better. People can see, oh, he's using this as a decision criterion. He's using this as a launch pad for his ideas. And if you can convey that to your folks that your thinking, your motivations, your decisions are based on purpose, they'll follow along quickly it will spread like wildfire.
2: And we're really talking about here when we talk about key measures and making overt purpose-based decisions, these are things leaders can do to really help reinforce the organization's purpose or the project's purpose, whatever it is they're leading. And there are a couple more, um, you know, I, I throw in how important it is for leaders to give purpose-based feedback, you know, feedback that is in the context of the project or the organization's Purpose. It helps teach and motivate. And, and of course, when purpose is the point of reference for feedback, performance related to purpose improves. And of course, the understanding of purpose improves. So just the way feedback is given can also help reinforce
3: Oh, in fact, I think our next blog article, which you can, you can get on our blog at uh, at uh, ELG.net, but our next one is going to be, I think is going to be on how to praise people. And one of the things that we will be talking about in how to praise is connecting what person has done right to the reason they're there. So they can not just see they did something right and what it was, but that it's helping to serve uh, the noble purpose that we hope they're signed up to. One last thing I would say to to leaders who are thinking about doing this stuff, and that is that it is easy. People are watching you for what we call moments of truth. And they, people watch the leader to see, do they really mean what they're saying? They tell us how important safety is, how safe are they? They're telling us how important customers are, uh, how are they treating customers? And if and if the person who's been saying we're here to serve the customer, and, and a customer comes to the door at you know five you know five fifteen p.m. and the the boss is there and says nah, we're we're closed, don't answer the door. Um, that kind of that kind of response conveys far more than your words do. So you really have to model uh, appropriately, model positively, and be aware that you're going to be modeling negatively if you're not careful.
1: Right. Otherwise it's it's rules for thee, but not for me from the leader, right? And um you know, you've you've already done a great job in this discussion speaking to purpose. But I do want to ask you, what other ways can we really make the application and bring it all back home, make it personal to your people in your organization? How can you instill that sense of purpose?
2: Well, I guess if I were advising someone on what's a very next thing they could do, well, first, let me say, I hope they read the article because the the takeaways at the end really are quite actionable. But, you know, if you wanted to go do something today on this issue, you know, if you're a small business owner, you know, go look at the work you're doing and see if folks are clear about the intent, the ultimate intent, the ultimate outcomes that, that you want them to be aiming for. Is everybody on the same page? If the answer is no, you're going to find out that there are some things in their planning and their execution that are probably things you don't want. If you're if you're in the acquisition community, you know, look at the, the projects you're overseeing right now. Are are all of them clear in terms of the real intent behind them? What was the real purpose that drove that RFP? Um, Do you know? If you don't know, see if you can find out, go talk to the sponsor. Uh, And if you do know, ask yourself if it has been conveyed to uh, the people who are going to be competing for that work so that they can really uh, hit hit the bullseye. Because we small businesses want to do that. And we're always looking for ways to set ourselves apart. We don't just want to be checking boxes and say, well, we know we met the requirements. We really do want to solve the ultimate problem. And so anything I mean, I, people on both sides of this can do to make it clear is a win for everyone.
3: I'm speaking, outside my area of expertise here. This may be a lousy example. It's on the fly. But, <laughs> but literally, if I got a contract to to do the lawn maintenance for a facility installation, I would want to talk to somebody pretty far up and say, what do you want this place to look like? We, we have constraints within our contract, but... What do you want this place to look like? What kind of impression are you trying to create? Have a conversation about what the impact is. We're not just, the purpose isn't to cut grass. The purpose is to create an environment, go there. And in fact, one of my early mentors taught me this. He he ran one of the nice restaurants in his little town. And and he said, the biggest thing, I said, how, how do you train your, your weight staff? He said, well, the biggest thing we train them in and the biggest hurdle, biggest challenge is getting them to understand we're not here to serve food. I said, well, okay, so what are you here to do? He says, we're here to create a great dining experience. He said, when people who work for me get that, they do a lot of the right things. When they don't get that, it's, it's a very different experience. That's what leaders can do is to help link people.
1: And I think it traces to, um we talk a lot about brand and branding, and often it's misunderstood. But really, that amounts to, it's every day in every way. It's everything from that manicured lawn, yeah. if you're trying to project a certain type of personality as a company, to everyone having proper email signatures on their emails, to how people answer the phone, or... If it's like a restaurant, how people create an experience, how they leave the other person feeling when they've had contact with your organization, all so important. So no, I'm completely tracking with you. And as we close out, I just want to um, touch on a, a quote. It's in the article. It's by Dan Pink from the book Drive. He says, the most deeply motivated people, not to mention those who are most productive and satisfied hitch their desires to a cause larger than themselves. And I I think that's part of the essence of this whole conversation. And I'm just so grateful to you both, Wendy and Bill, for joining me today. My guests have been Wendy Peck, CEO of Executive Leadership Group, and Bill Casey, her partner and president of ELG. You'll find it at elg.net. And let me just remind the article found in JFQ is Success on Purpose, a message for leaders of military organizations. Wendy and Bill, thank you so much for being with me today. It's been a delight. It's
2: really been a pleasure, Anthony. Thank you for having us.
1: Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: This is Ken Karkov once more. I want to thank our guests for participating in today's conversation. Your insights and perspectives will surely help our listeners. And an invitation to our listeners, if you'd like to participate as a guest in a future conversation, please reach out to me at kenneth.carcuff at Till next time, stay engaged and collaborate across your networks. Everyone's talents and skills are needed within the defense industrial base as we fulfill the national defense strategy
1: together.